Welcome to Ministry in Motion, where we explore best practices for your ministry in the 21st century. On today's program, we have a very special guest, Dr. Don Jernigan. Dr. Don Jernigan is the President and CEO of Adventist Health System, one of the largest healthcare systems in the United States, made up of 46 hospitals and 78,000 employees that serve more than 4.7 million patients annually. He's also served as a naval officer, a university professor, and as president of three hospitals, including Florida Hospital, which cares for more patients than any other hospital in the nation. Dr. Don Jernigan earned a PhD in physical chemistry from Baylor University and is a prominent speaker on issues of leadership, healthcare, science, education, and the military. Don, thanks so much for coming on to Ministry in Motion. Thank you. Yeah. Now, you've recently written a great new book, and uh, let me just hold it up here for the viewers. And the title of the book, of course, is The Hidden Power of Relentless Stewardship, Five Keys to Developing a World-Class Organization. And I want to thank you for this book. I've read it from cover to cover. And uh, there's a few things I'd just like to comment about the book, uh, particularly for our viewers. Um, firstly, the book stays right on target. It is relentlessly on stewardship, but it's bigger than what people would normally regard as stewardship. It explores mission, vision, values, culture and leadership. It reads well on the page. It's nicely laid out and it's a pleasurable read. It's thorough but with oxygen. And uh, it's well planned. It delivers an abundance of takeaway points and, and helpful methods. I found myself growing as I read it. And the book, for me, if, if I had my way, it would be required reading for all pastors and anyone who's interested in doing ministry in a local church. It has so much to offer. Another strength of the book is that while it does address tax-exempt organisations, it's readily adaptable to the church. And while I read the book, I found I was inspired. I wanted to do more with ministry. It was that kind of inspirational book. And may, may I also say for our viewers, um, we, we have a quantity of books that you've brought with, with you today, and uh, we're thrilled with that. And our viewers, stay with us to the end of today's program because you may be able to receive your very own complimentary copy of this book. It's an outstanding book and you won't want, won't want to miss out. Let me come first of all to some questions for you, Don, that I'd like to ask you about the book. Um, it's a comprehensive book. We can't cover everything in the book. Viewers will have to buy their own book to get through it. But I'd like to start with mission. Right at the very beginning of the book, you quote Bill George, an amazingly successful corporate leader, and on page 12, you quote the following. The best kept secret in business is that mission-driven companies create far more shareholder value than do financially driven firms. It's only through a sense of purpose that companies can realise their potential. What would you say to a local church, particularly the leadership of a local church, about how to build a sense of purpose and mission in that church? Well, I believe that uh, persons, human beings, uh, are always in their heart ultimately motivated by purpose. 
And that is, um, I believe, critical to any group of people if you want to do something other than just the ordinary. Uh, you, you must um, capture their imagination and their desire to be a part of something which is much, much bigger than themselves. And um, I think that's critical in any kind of human endeavor. Mm. Bigger themselves. Bigger than themselves. And, and focusing on purpose. Yeah. Now, talking about this, on page 19 of your book, I'd, grab the copy that's there beside you. Sure. I'd love you to read just two brief paragraphs about a, a nurse that you call Renee. It's a, it's a wonderful story. R read it for us, please. A nurse I'll call Renee worked in the emergency room at one of our hospitals. One evening, a man with diseased feet came into the ER, clearly requiring urgent attention. Renee fetched a wash basin, had the man sit down in front of her, and washed and treated his ailing feet. After she finished drying them, she told the man he would need some follow-up care. But I don't have the money to pay for it, he replied. What happened next supplied an amazing example of our mission in action. Renee stood up, retrieved her purse, grabbed some cash and gave it to the man with no expectation of ever having it repaid. Talk about finding personal motivation in corporate mission. Well, it's a wonderful story. Yes. It has so many layers. There's many things that come to mind. The, the good Samaritan, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Yes. What would you like that story to communicate to your readers? One of the things that we strive for constantly um, is to awaken among our staff um, the, um, the virtue of, of uncommon compassion. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that we actually uh, talk about with our employees is that we want to offer uncommon compassion. We want them to experience something that they don't experience in the world around them. And that story to me uh, illustrates uncommon compassion. Uh, this man's feet were dirty. He was probably homeless. Uh, just the process of getting them clean. And they went from dirty, grody to just pure like a baby's feet clean. Yeah. Uh, and he was so proud of that. Yeah. You know, it, it, for me, it's, it's unthinkable in terms of expectations. If I was going into an ER room with 30 feet, I wouldn't expect a nurse to do that. But no. that, was, that no. was just truly extraordinary. No. That, yeah. that, and that's what I call uncommon. Yeah. Uncommon compassion. Exactly. Now, on page 36, you're right under the subheading of every decision is sacred. And, and this was, I thought, profound. You write, money is nothing more than a means of measuring how you use resources. And if anywhere in your organisation you are wasting money, you are committing a crime against your mission, especially if you consider your mission to be a sacred one. Now, presumably this speaks to a local church. How could a local church address this debilitating problem? Well, unfortunately, with almost any individual, when you mention money, the last thing they tend to think of is sacred. Mm. But money, the piece of paper, is simply a way that we exchange items of value, whether that's 
an hour of a person's time to do a, a piece of work or a, or a supply or, or whatever it is. And if you have a mission that you regard as a sacred mission, then if you use that money or that, that medium of exchange mm. to do something which does not bring value, then you're, you're wasting something that can be used to fulfill your mission. Mm. And uh, truly, uh, those, those waste are a crime against the sacred mission. Exactly. Thanks so much, Don. I'd love to come back with you right after this break as we talk about vision. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our special guest today is Dr. Don Jernigan. And today we're addressing his wonderful new book, The Hidden Power of Relentless Stewardship. Now, Don, in the first section, we looked at vision. Let's, uh, mission. Let's look at vision now. Um, how would you define vision? And uh, what's its significance, particularly in the local church? Sure. People frequently, in my mind, can confuse uh, mission and vision. A mission is, is the statement of your, of your purpose, the reason you exist. Uh, vision is a, a statement that should provide excitement about a particular way that you can achieve your, your mission. Excitement. And, and if it doesn't produce that, then you're wasting your time. So let me give you an example of my sure. own local church. Uh, we said, well, we're clear about our mission. Our mission, Jesus gave it himself, is to go and make disciples. Mm -hmm. And that's our mission. We didn't say we had any right to tinker with that. That's our reason for existence. But we went through a very uh, professionally done visioning process. And given that we had just uh, moved into a, a $10 million new plant and that we were in an area that was fast growing in which there was no Adventist presence, uh, through a visioning process, we decided that we wanted to be the friendliest church. Now, first we said in Orlando, then we said in Florida. Now we said, well, we just want to be the friendliest church. And we actually used the word neighborly mm -hmm. to play right off of the, uh, the Good Samaritan, neighborly. And so we said, we want everything we do. We want to see our plant used all around the week. We, we want every ministry to reach out and invite people in for something we would do for them because we were clear that if we were very neighborly, that would help us fulfill our mission. Mm. And that has been very successful. Our church has had unbelievable growth. Wow, that is significant, isn't it? You, you know, being that neighbor to a community like In that. that neighbor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now on page 76, you make the point Vision has to change in order to address fluctuating external circumstances. And then on page 80, you stress the importance of context to vision. Mm -hmm. Could you unpack that a little for us? Sure. Well, and of course, the, the, the healthcare world that I live in, um, we're living in the midst of a, um, the most massive change in the delivery of healthcare 
in the last probably 75 or 80 years in terms of how it's financed and mm -hmm. delivered. But I think in a church situation, the vision has to take account of your particular unique circumstances. I mentioned in the case of our church that we were in a very fast growing area, new presence, major facility, and we were clear that the best way to reach and make disciples was through being the best neighbor we could possibly be. Uh, if there was a church that is in a very small town in, in a rural area with very little population growth, you would have to think, I think, very differently about how you're going to go about making disciples. Mm. And the thing that would fit our church, I would say, is not appropriate for another church. Yeah, yeah. Now, around those 80 pages there, um, there was something, that, again, that struck me. You, you gave a very... I'd say heavy-duty warning, that disaster usually awaits a leader who stands back and allows his or her organisation to go wherever circumstances take it. How would you suggest that a pastor be proactive to avoid those circumstances of just being uh, like a, a rudderless ship? Yes. Well, I think um, you, you, a, a pastor would have to take a very, very careful inventory of their circumstances. Okay. Is their church an older church? Is it a younger church? Is the community around it growing? Um, you know, are you in a situation where just given time and, and demographics, the church is going to tend to fade away unless you do something very different? And that might mean moving to a new, new and different location. Right. That's what I mean. If you just do nothing and just let things happen, you will get whatever future the world throws at you. Yeah. But rather than taking charge and saying, any reasonable person would say, this is where this is heading and we better do something different or else we will just suffer the consequences of the, of the future. Yeah. And ultimately just be a victim. Just be a victim. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in the book, you also place great emphasis on metrics. And I can understand the significance of that in, in healthcare and that mm -hmm. type of thing. Mm -hmm. How important is metrics in a local church? And what kind of things would, would you be measuring? I believe metrics uh, can be used in any um, circumstance. Now, I don't believe that you should you know, worship metrics, but I, but I think why in the world would you ever not want to gain the most knowledge you can about your situation? And, and I personally have a, of the belief that if I was going to have one metric for the spiritual health of a church, mm -hmm. it would be the giving. Okay. I mean, we, we, we talk about that kind of stewardship, and sometimes mm -hmm. it has you know, a tough connotation. But I think if I was a pastor and I wanted to know uh, what's the spiritual condition of my church, I would look at the level of generosity within the church. Yeah. I think that tells you a lot. And I think you can, I think there's very good ways you can survey your membership uh, to get at uh, what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. um, all measurements don't have to be what I call hard uh, measurements like, like giving, but you can survey. You, you can do all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've looked at mission, we've looked at 
vision. Right after the break, I'd like to come back and look at outstanding leadership with you. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Today's topic is Relentless Stewardship and our very special guest is Dr. Don Jernigan and we're exploring his book, Relentless Stewardship. Now Don, we've explored mission and vision. Let's look at leadership and you've had a lot of experience and you've, you've seen a lot over, over your years. Different contexts, different, different locales. What, what to you is or, or what are some of the key components of a good leader in multiple contexts? Yes, I, I believe that uh, there are common features that are present in every successful leader that I've, in, I've encountered, and it really doesn't matter what, what the context is. And I would start with, the, above all else, the, the, the leaders that have been very successful and last in, in their success above all else, are trusted. Okay. They are trusted because of several things. They are transparent mm -hmm. and they are consistent in how they approach issues and how they make decisions. And specifically, they will make decisions from a high moral ground based okay. upon the um, mission and the values of their organization. Right. What that does is that takes self out of the, um, of, of the issues and people begin to realize that this leader uh, is coming from a, a, a place of, um, of great moral fiber and they don't want decisions to be about them. They want them to be about the mission of the organization and they're very consistent uh, across the board. Now, is there a, a leader or pe perhaps maybe more than one, a leader that you particularly admire that has been like a role model for you? I've had uh, many wonderful role models from very early on in, in, in my life, uh, you know, starting with my, my mother and father. My mother was a school teacher and I really wanted to be like her and how she did things. Um, I had a wonderful um, basketball coach at w one point when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. and. Um, the things that I talked about, my major professor was was a man of great integrity and transparency. Um, and then, you know, people that I've worked with, my, my predecessors, such as uh, Tom Werner and, and Marty and Blair, um, they were, once you knew them for a while, you knew that you could trust them completely. And they, um, they had a way of then making you want to go where they were, uh, asking you to go yeah. and uh, you were honored to walk with them. Yeah, uh, you keep on coming back to trust. Mm -hmm. Trust is number one for you, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. I don't think I, I'm pretty sure I know I didn't invent this phrase, but I believe it and I've used it and I've said it many times that trust is the coin of the realm in leadership. You can, you can make mistakes, people are forgiving. Um, you don't have to be perfect, but if you lose the trust of people, you're done. Yeah. 
it's really virtually impossible to, to recapture it once it's lost. Yeah. Now you also make a, a powerful point that it's important that a leader confronts reality. How does a leader do that? How can a local church pastor confront reality? Well, I don't uh, necessarily um, claim that, um, that that would necessarily be easy for a, for a pastor to do, but I still think it's critical. Um, and I think it can be done with uh, great um, tenderness, and I think it can be done with compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it could be done through... Um, your, your sermons. I, I think the thing that you have to avoid is taking out a whip and, and, and whipping people with it. The reality is not necessarily about any one individual person, but it's about your organization and, and what is healthy about it. What is not healthy about it? Is it, is it stagnant? Um, is it uh, taking in new blood? Is it is it growing? Um, again, what is the, what is the giving, and, and what does that imply? Yeah. Um, and I I think that while you don't attack people, you can easily say, well, if we don't change these circumstances, these things will happen to us. This will happen. This will happen. This will happen. That's not attacking a person but it's defining the reality that an organization faces based upon, frankly, the talents and assets it has and taking account of the environment that that you're operating in. Mm. That's defining reality. Yeah. Let me ask you a personal question now. Why did you write the book? And what would you like the book to say in in a very brief summary to the reading audience? Well, I was... uh, it was a very difficult task to get me to write the book in the beginning. I point that out in the uh, acknowledgments. Mm-hmm. But as it, it went on, um, the one thing that I was enthusiastic about is I do believe that this concept of stewardship, if you really understand it in its full context, we just think it's about getting people to give money. Yeah. It's much, much bigger than that. There's, exactly. In the Phillips translation, there's a passage that says, for a trustee, it is necessary that they are faithful to their trust. That's stewardship. That's exactly what it is. And I believe it is, it is such an integrating way of looking at leadership and looking at uh, dealing with people and organizations that I did want these principles to get out. Mm. I, I, I did want to share these principles. Thank you so much, Don. And thank you so much for coming on to Ministry in Motion. Thank, thank you. Dr. John, Don Jernigan has made available 25 copies of this outstanding book. Write into us, uh, email us, feedback at ministryinmotion.tv. If you're one of the first viewers from your country, the first 25 countries from around the world, we will send you this wonderful book by Dr. Don Jernigan. Don, thanks so much for joining us once again. Thank you. And thank you for joining us as well. Come back and and join us next time on Ministry in Motion.
Again, Don. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs>